This morning, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we're going to begin. We finished chapter 17 last week. We're going to begin here in Luke 18, looking through a significant part of it. We'll begin by reading just the first 14 verses together this morning. And uh, actually, one thing I should mention also, uh, on uh, the 19th, so Sunday the 19th, so not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, um, we'll be having a baptism service, so just keep that in mind as well uh, for two weeks away. All right, back to Luke 18. Let's begin here in verse 1 of Luke 18, and we're going to read through to verse 14. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men ought always... Or ought always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this woman troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming She weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will he will really find will he really find faith on the earth? Also he spake this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word to learn and to grow, to be reminded of great truths. We pray, dear God, that you would work in us, encourage us, strengthen us to the tasks, to the call that you have before us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're here on the first Sunday of the year, which is many who are traveling amongst us and, and elsewhere, but we're here on the first Sunday of the year, the beginning of the year. Maybe you're one of those, those people who likes to set goals or resolutions. I'm not a resolution person as such. We do have goals. Um, I was sitting with my diary and writing out all the things I wanted to do and accomplish this year, and, and uh, then it turned out I had to take my daughters to the shop so they could buy diaries, so they could sit in and write out all of their goals and, and things they wanted to do for the year. So we all sat around the table writing stuff out. Um, it's that time of year where we, we do that. We look forward with hope, don't we? Even if you're not a resolution setter or a goal setter, at the beginning of the year, it's kind of like we have this, this mindset of a fresh start. Here's an opportunity where the, the past year can be washed away. We can try and focus forward. We look forward to a year with, with so much potential, hoping that the year will be better than the last. 
no matter whether it was good or bad, but that this year will be better. And so many of us think about what we want to do, what we want to accomplish, what we want to be in the year ahead. And maybe for you, one of your goals is about prayer life and how you will pray this year. It always is for me. Yeah, but much like our resolutions and much like the goals that we set as we look forward in, a year, in the year, prayer has a forward focus. It's designed that way, to look forward. Jesus, even when he taught us how to pray, said in his example prayer for us, so he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the forward focus of prayer. That's the looking forward of of what prayer should be, of of where prayer is aimed. The kingdom of God would come. Often our prayers uh, are, are fixed in the present. We pray about what is or what we need to be or, or even in the, the very near future. But they're usually fixed to a, a time period in which we can think forward and we can see or, that we're experiencing now. This teaching that we're reading through this morning and we're going to look at, this teaching on prayer is in the context of the coming kingdom. So he spent a good portion of the last conversations we've seen in chapter 17 talking to us about the kingdom of God which is to come. And we saw much of that last week, even at the end of 17. And then as he has spoken to us about all of that, about the coming of the kingdom and what it's going to be like and who's going to be in it and and won't be in it and and the nature of it, here he starts talking to us about prayer in the context of that coming kingdom. See, this is a call for us to look beyond what we see. And his call to prayer is to look beyond what we see and, to, and, and what we experience to see God's great purpose. This prayer, if I was to kind of wrap up the idea of this prayer, this is Jesus calling to us to fix our prayers not on what is, but what will be. To, to focus our prayers or to move our prayers in life, not about what we see and what is just the now, but to look beyond that and to see the eternal aspect of our prayers. And what that means by looking forward, what it means for our prayer right now. So while our prayers should be about this life, and there's no doubt, and I'm not saying we, we are only to pray for the future, we, we do need to pray for the things that affect us now and what happens in our life now. While our prayers should be about this life, they should be looking forward, looking through this life to the end. Thinking, how do your prayers advance God's kingdom? How do they accomplish God's will? You know, as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. How are my prayers focused on that? How are my prayers looking to that, accomplishing that, thinking about that? You know, we struggle at times in this world with with God's seeming lack of answer and the growing lack of faith in this world. You know, as we look here, and the context of this is seeing Jesus come and his coming kingdom, and we look around and it seems as if all our prayers for his kingdom to come and all our prayers for God to do a work and to bring people to salvation seem to be falling on deaf ears sometimes. The world seems to be getting worse or at least appears that way to us in the way we see the world. And we struggle a little bit and sometimes it's, it's hard to see that God's will is being done. 
look at life and say, how can, how can this happen? If, if God's will is, is to bring his kingdom, if God's will is to see people saved, if God's will is, is all these great things, then why do we see what we see? And so sometimes that puts us in the frame of mind that our prayers might be futile. Why, why pray? If God is going to do what he's going to do and look around and this is what happens and it doesn't seem to be working, then why? Why do I keep praying? They seem a little bit futile. But the truth is actually the opposite to that. That's how we think at times, but the truth is the opposite. God does hear our prayers, and he does move to answer our prayers. So here is Jesus tells us these two parables. He is encouraging us to keep praying and don't get discouraged. That's why he starts with that very phrase where where Luke tells us this is why Jesus told it, that we ought always to pray and not get discouraged or not lose heart. I've uh, shaped our thoughts this morning around one, one sentence really, but with two thoughts, and that is this. God will answer his people's prayer. Those are going to be our two things that we look at as we go here. Firstly, that God will answer and that he answers his people's prayer. As we look through this, much of what we see in these passages, and, and you can probably see that already, much of what we see in these passages is familiar and even self-explanatory. You don't need me to go through here and give you all the details of what Jesus is saying or explain all of it, some of it perhaps, but it's familiar and fairly self-explanatory to the most part. So today we want to take this opportunity just to look over it, to think, to reflect and consider how will I adjust my prayer life? How will I adjust my life with these truths? So let's start with the first part of our statement, that is that God will answer. The lesson of the first part of this uh, parable, of the first parable, and even as we get to the end of the second parable, The lesson that is being taught here is to believe in prayer. This is the the main driving force, the the thing that he wants us firstly to understand here. Believe in prayer. I said most of this is going to be fairly obvious to you. The the two reasons here that I've got that we can think of that we need to believe in prayer, one is that prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Jesus here is telling us to pray. So that's what the whole thing here is about. He is telling us we need to pray. And don't stop praying, but keep praying. So if Jesus is telling us to pray, it's his instruction because it's his idea. Prayer is God's idea. So those times when we start to think, my prayer seems futile. I keep praying and I don't seem to be seeing any answers. Or I am praying about what is ahead and, and about God's kingdom to come. But it all seems to be turmoil and trouble and nothing seems to be coming to the resolution that we think it should be jesus tells us keep praying it's my idea he says keep doing it prayer is god's invitation to be involved in his work he's saying this is your opportunity to to be part of what i'm doing but it's more than just a way to get things done and that's sometimes how we tend to see prayer, is that it's a way to get things done. But prayer is, is much more than just a way to get things done. The Bible teaches, and what Jesus is showing us here, is that prayer is life. It's like breathing. You cannot live spiritually without 
prayer. Prayer is essential and it is important. And I dare say that, that all of us here would, by that statement, if I said prayer is essential and important, we'd all agree to that. And we'll say, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. We, we agree that. But then the question at least comes to me, as pointedly to me, why does Jesus need to tell us to pray always and not give up? If, if I say, that, if I say and, and I believe that prayer is essential and prayer is important, and I believe that, why does Jesus need to keep reminding us to keep praying and to not give up? Because if you're anything like me, we give up too easily. And we underestimate the power of prayer in every way. And we give up on the things that we should be doing far too easily. We forget that it is indeed powerful. It has the power to change circumstances. The power to change lives, including your own. It's the power to bring us closer to God. Prayer has in it the power to give us understanding of who God is. Prayer is powerful, and the power of prayer is found in the fact that prayer is supernatural. Prayer is supernatural. The power of prayer isn't limited to this existence. It isn't limited to just what happens in this realm, in this life. Prayer helps us to see beyond it. That's why Jesus tells us to pray for his kingdom to come, to look beyond it. It's, it's getting us to look for the eternal, to look beyond what is now, what is here. So why is prayer so powerful? Prayer is so powerful because prayer operates outside the bounds of this universe. Prayer operates outside of the, the restrictions and the limitations of what we know. See, I tried to come up with a way where I could visualize that or show you, and there was no way I could, could think of that would, would do that. Because you know, we think of prayer and we think of you know, this, this ball in which we live or this universe in which we live, and that, that's it. But when we pray, our prayers go out beyond the known existence of anything created and go into the eternal. Our prayers extend into the eternal to the eternal God. Prayer isn't empty words, and it isn't just silent meditation. Prayer is genuine communication with God. It's genuine communication with the God who is and who works outside our realms of limitations. We are speaking with the God who created everything that we see and understand and know and is outside of all of that, who controls all of that. Prayer has its power in the very fact that it's supernatural, that we are communicating and commuting with a God who is outside of all of our limitations. So we need to believe in prayer. The second thing we have is that we need to be persistent in prayer. The instruction here is that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. So, clearly, we're to pray always. Now, this isn't new to us, is it? We know anything about the Bible or about the New Testament or about prayer. We know this, that the New Testament repeats this thought over and over and over again. Jesus says it here. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, continue steadfastly in prayer. He says it again in Ephesians chapter 6, connected with the armor of God, praying always. 
Or to the Philippians, he says, in everything by prayer. And to the Colossians, continue earnestly in prayer. And to the Thessalonians, who were struggling with what they thought that, that they had, had missed or the, the uh, trouble they were having in the world, pray without ceasing. So this thought that we're to pray always is, is not a new thought to us. The Bible is constantly reminding us and pushing us to remember Pray. Pray always. Prayer is powerful because it's more than just a tool. Prayer is not something for us to, to, to use. It is not something for us to get something done, although it will do those things. Prayer is not a tool. Prayer is my personal connection with God. It's the way I communicate with the one who saved me, with the God who works outside of our realms outside of our limitations. Pray always. More particularly here, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're to pray in adversity. See, this isn't, this passage which we're reading here and looking at, this parable, isn't just about always praying. It is that, but it has a particular reference. It's particularly speaking to us about praying in times of adversity and trouble. The story, uh, the parable he gives us here, is about a woman who uh, continues to go to a judge because she needs help. She has an adversary who is uh, constantly on her and needs help, needs to be delivered. So this is particularly about praying in times of adversity. This is encouragement to pray when there seems to be no reason to pray. So the woman here, has she, she's petitioned the judge, but the judge isn't going to answer, and he doesn't want to answer, and he doesn't want to do it. So it would seem that she has no reason to keep asking. But she does. Jesus is encouraging us here to pray even when there seems to be no reason to pray. That is, that it doesn't look like it's working. That it doesn't look like things are happening. This is about praying for God's will to be done. For his kingdom to come when everything else sees the opposite. When it looks as if the kingdom isn't coming. When it looks as if God isn't in control. When it looks as if the enemies are overrunning us, whether it be worldwide or personally. The judge that's described here in Jesus' parable says in verse 2, There was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. He's described this way on purpose because he is described as being wicked and heartless. This, he does not care what God thinks, is not interested in what God thinks, and he has no concern or compassion for people. That's his description. He is described here on purpose to be a completely callous, heartless, and wicked man. That's what that phrase describes for us here. The widow, on the other hand here, is helpless and alone. She has no recourse. Her adversaries are overcome here. They are stronger than her. She has no way to, to rescue herself or be delivered by herself from out of this. She needs help, and she has no one. She is a widow here, and she is described here to us to be alone and helpless. She is being treated wickedly, and the judge does not care. 
That's the context of the story Jesus tells us. The judge doesn't care that she is being treated unjustly, that she is being treated wickedly. Regardless of the bleak circumstance, that is, that she seems to have no hope, she persists in seeking help. The judge has ruled. And it seems this judge, through his description, is is known for being one who rules quickly and who rules finally. The judge has ruled and he has said, no, I'm not going to help you. You don't get what you want. And despite the fact that she sees no, no hope here, she persists in seeking. She keeps going back to the judge. And she keeps going back and she goes back and she goes back and she goes back until finally the judge rules in her favor. But he rules in her favor not because she thinks she needs it, he thinks she needs it or deserves it. He rules in her favor for selfish reasons. I want her to go away. That's why the judge rules. He is still working out of selfishness. He still has no compassion or care for this woman or concern for what is good or right in the eyes of God. His sole purpose is, get her out of my life. Let's get this over with. So he rules in her favor. He does so because he doesn't want his reputation ruined. That last uh, phrase which speaks about it in verse 5 where it says, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The last phrase, she weary me, and depending on the translation, it comes out a little bit different because it's a hard one to translate because it is literally means to give a black eye. And we might speak of it like, like, like this. It's talking about a reputation. Like, I went into this thing and I came out with a black eye. That is, uh, my reputation was ruined. I got hit. I got beat. And now you can see I've lost. So what he wants is he wants her to go away because he is afraid that if she keeps coming and she keeps persisting, his reputation as this harsh and, uh, and quick judge is going to be completely ruined and he'll lose whatever respect he has gained. He wants this to end so he is not brought to shame. Keep praying. Keep praying even if everything seems against you. Even if everything seems to be turning the wrong way, even if it seems that nothing will change, keep praying. Keep praying and don't give up no matter how bleak the circumstances. Believe in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. Thirdly, be patient in prayer. Be patient in prayer. Jesus continues in verse 6 to give us a little illustration or a contrast, if you will, of that parable. It says, Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he, will he really find faith on the earth? Although we may apply this passage, and as we have to some degree, to encourage us to be persistent in prayer and to keep praying, praying, because it certainly is that, this is not a parable about annoying God until he gives you what you want. So don't read the, don't read the first part of the parable like that, as if it's a story about God being the judge and we're the widow and that we're supposed to just keep going to God and keep going to God and annoying him until he finally gives in. Because the parable here and the picture here is not a comparison of like. It's a contrast. The first part of the parable is to show us one thing. And then the second part where Jesus talks about God is to show us the contrast 
of who God really is. And who God is. The point is by way of contrast, not similarity. God is not the wicked judge. He's the opposite of the wicked judge. You see, the point is this. The the contrast is this. Even the wicked judge who had no care and no concern for God or for people eventually granted the request. Now, don't you think that if God, who is good and loving, is petitioned by his people, that he will give what his people need? This is the contrast. The contrast is not that God is like the wicked judge. The contrast is that God is not like the wicked judge, but that he is good and loving. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Say, even if this wicked judge, if he's petitioned long enough, he'll finally give in, even though he doesn't care. If a man who does not care about people will grant a request, surely a God who does care will grant the request, will meet the needs of his people. God isn't wicked and heartless, but good and loving. Verse 7, that phrase at the end of verse 7, though he bears long with them, is, will he keep putting them off? It's a rhetorical question where the answer is clearly seen to be no. He will not keep putting them off. And he speaks to this, uh, to these people. He says, shall not God avenge his own elect? That little phrase there, his own elect, that's a great little phrase. The elect, and we can think of it in... in uh, theological terms, if you like, of what that means to be elect, but that's not the point here. The point is to look beyond that. See, those that are his own elect are the ones who are the victorious ones, the ones who know victory, the ones who will see victory. In a world where wicked seems to prosper, wickedness seems to prosper, and the righteous seem to suffer, God isn't ignoring us. He's simply asking us to be patient. He's not ignoring us. He's asking us to be patient. Now, that doesn't mean don't or stop asking. Although he's asking us to be patient, he does not tell us stop asking. Keep asking. Keep petitioning. Keep letting him know what's on your heart and what is is burdening you and what you need and what you're looking forward to. And he will say, I hear you. Just wait. Be patient. Because he tells us help is on the way. Verse 8 says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That last phrase seems to indicate that the world will increasingly lose faith or lack faith, that increasingly the world will abandon God, reject God. So we're called to be faithful, to be persistent, and to be patient in a world abandoning God. And why are we to be patient? Why do we keep petitioning God and waiting for him and being patient on him? Because he reminds us that God is listening. And while he listens, he is waiting for the perfect time to act. 
He is waiting for the right time to act. God's coming may be delayed. And we saw that last week as we looked at the end of chapter 17 and we saw, talked about his coming again and that, yes, his kingdom is coming. But there is a delay in that. And so it is with the way God works in our life. He is listening and he is moving, but there may be a delay because he needs to wait for the right time, the right moment. His action in your life may seem absent, but never, ever doubt. Help is on the way. And when the time is right, he tells us, he will act swiftly. So when the moment comes, when the time is right for God to bring his kingdom or for God to act in your life in what needs to be done, God is not going to see that time and see that moment and dilly-dally around and think, oh, I'm not prepared. I didn't get the tools I need or I don't have what I need. I'll just let him wait for a little bit longer. Maybe it'll be okay. When the time is right, he acts swiftly. When the time is right, he moves with speed. And he brings the answer that is so needed. Keep believing. Keep looking for him. Keep praying. God will answer. So believe in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. Be patient in prayer. Then lastly and quickly, we look at this second part of the statement. God will answer his people's prayer. And here we come to one last parable that Jesus tells us here in regards to prayer, which really transitions us into what he talks about next, which is how to be in the kingdom. One of the things that we're going to look here as we see this is when we talk about prayer, we need to be honest in our prayers. He tells a second story here about who will have their prayers heard. So the first is that God will answer the prayers of his elect. Next question then is, who is that? And how will those prayers be answered? Who gets their prayers answered? This is it. And so he tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector who come to God in prayer. The first thing when we talk about being honest in our prayer is that we need to be honest with God. He compares here the extremes to illustrate, much like the parable before where he gives us the extreme of this wicked king in contrast to the glory and goodness of God. Here he gives us two extremes, this Pharisee on the one hand and the complete opposite here of the tax collector. So we can see and understand the truth. Now, as you read the story, of course, we see and we know the story. The Pharisee comes and he stands up and he prays loudly so that everybody can hear him. And he says how good he is and everything he's done. And it seems like as we look at this, that the Pharisee is being seen. That everybody sees him and that he is the one that is seen. And the tax collector who is afar off is the one who is hidden or hiding. But in reality, it's the other way around. Although the Pharisee is the one who's standing up and who seems to have all the attention, the reality is it's the Pharisee that's hiding and the tax collector who's off by himself afar off that is seen. It's the other way around. You see, the Pharisee is hiding the truth. He doesn't believe he needs God. Everything he says in this prayer is about himself. Look what I've done. Look how good I am. I've done all of these things and I'm certainly better than that tax collector over there 
His prayer, everything about his prayer says, I do not need God. His view of God is very, very small. Everything that God needs, everything that can please God, I have in me. His view of God is tiny. The tax collector, on the other hand, we see in a very different place. He's standing afar off, not even going to lift his eyes up, beating on his breath, on his breast in, in, in submission and anguish. He recognizes the holiness of God. Be merciful to me, he calls out. So in contrast to the Pharisee who says, I don't need your mercy, I'm good enough, the tax collector is saying, I need your mercy, I'm not nearly good enough. I can't be what you need me to be, what I ought to be. He knows that he cannot make the standard, and he doesn't pretend to. The Pharisee is hiding behind his good deeds. He's hiding behind his pride. He's hiding. The tax collector is open and honest. I need God. Now, prayers, we need to be honest with God. We need to be honest with ourselves. See, the tax collector recognizes that he needs God's mercy. True prayer is an acknowledgement of need. That's what prayer is. Prayer is saying to God, I need you. The widow in the parable above was unable to help herself. She needed help, so she pleaded. The tax collector here in this second parable is the same. He knows he's unable to help himself, so he pleads to God, I need you. Prayers will not get answered if you keep hiding behind your self-sufficiency, if you keep hiding behind your good deeds or your pride that I can do this, I am good enough for this, strong enough for this. God isn't going to vindicate you at his coming if you never admit you need him. So we need to be honest in our prayers. Secondly, we need to be humble in prayer. See, prayer isn't a work. By that, I mean, it, it is work and it is hard work. What I mean by that is in, in this regard. The Pharisee used prayer as a way to try and impress God. It was a work that he would do that could be something that God could say, you've done well. Your prayers are excellent. It was a way to impress God and to impress others. It was, in his eyes, a work of righteousness. That's all it was to him, though. A work. Something to do. There was no relationship. There was no passion. There was no truth in his prayer. See, prayer isn't something you do to make God happy. That's not what prayer is for. Look what it says about the Pharisee's prayer. Jesus says in verse 11, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus, with himself. God wasn't listening. He was talking to himself. God was not listening. Prayer isn't a work. Prayer is a privilege. The tax collector knew what he was doing was a privilege. It was an undeserved favor. And this man, 
God was listening to. It ends by telling us that the tax collector was the one that went home justified. That is, the tax collector went home with God having heard and acted in his life. Don't treat prayer lightly. Don't treat it dismissively. Don't pray because you think you deserve God's favor. Pray because you know you need God's help. They're very different, very important, different things. Don't pray because you think you deserve God's favor. God, you owe me this. Pray because you know you need God's help. God, I need you now. Thirdly, and finally this morning, be humble in prayer. Be honest in prayer. And thirdly, be hoping in prayer. In that, be thankful for your salvation. This uh, tax collector, it says, goes home to his house justified. That is, saved. He is now one of the elect, or seen to be one of the elect. The difference in the two prayers is significant. The tax collector is heard, the Pharisee is not. The tax collector is saved, the Pharisee is not. He's saved because he recognized he needed a savior. He was a sinner. He recognized he needed God's mercy. So be thankful for your salvation and be looking for your exaltation. Now by this, I don't mean that we need to look for when we're above others and be looking for God to put us up above others. By this, what I mean is look for Christ to come. That's what the exaltation is that we're looking for. As we humble ourselves and submit to God, he will exalt us and bring us into a place in a relationship with him and into his kingdom. So to be exalted is to look for God's final coming when he will bring us into his kingdom and make us all that he intends us to be. To look for his vindication. Look for Christ to bring his kingdom. Then we will know God's glory and the glory of his salvation. Don't be short-sighted in your prayers. Be honest. Be humble. Be hoping. To look forward in our prayers and to, to think forward and, and looking at what, what God wants to do in our lives and what God can do and to keep praying even when the world does not look that way. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for the things of this world now, the needs that we have now. It means that we pray for the needs we have now. It means that we pray for the people around us now in view of the future. What does it mean to pray now for something with an eternal end, with a purpose that goes beyond just the moment, that goes beyond just the immediate need? How are you praying for the advancement of God's kingdom now? How are you praying for the advancement of God's kingdom here. In this moment, in this place, looking at what we have now and saying, how do I pray for this now for what is to come? Are you praying for his return? There are two men here to identify with. The Pharisee, his faith was in himself, his own efforts, And he was hiding behind his pride and his entitlement. The tax collector was humble, thankful, and expectant. How will God find us? 
Will he find in us the faith he looks for and we will find the vindication we long for? Pray with the future in mind. Let's pray now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these reminders of what it is to pray. The great glory of prayer. We are reminded, dear God, that prayer is not words, empty words, nor is it just talking to the people around us or some sort of mindfulness. Prayer is communication with the eternal God, with you, who knows everything and knows what needs to be done in every circumstance. Help us, dear God, as we pray for our needs now, to pray for the needs in our lives and those around us with a view for your eternal glory. For what is good, not for just right now, but what is good forever. Lord, help us to remember to keep praying and not give up. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.